Welcome to the Whitetail Obsession Podcast with Dave Richman and co-host Chris Worthing, where we talk and teach everything deer and turkey hunting related. Follow along as we help teach you tips and techniques about hunting, food plots, and habitat management strategies that everyone can use. All right, guys. Um, I'd like to start out this podcast by saying that uh, I'm officially a Ford truck owner. First, yeah, put your head down. All right. First Ford truck in probably 10 years or so. Mm. Finally, finally, <clears throat> finally signed the paper and forked out some money and uh, got a got a new truck. And you got beat up on the internet. I did. I got beat up on the internet for buying a Ford. But let's be honest, uh, all vehicles have, have problems. Um, my Dodge has just, uh, it's got, it's a 2013 1500 it's got 204,000 miles all that traveling back and forth to your house over the years the old farm it just i had a lot of miles on it and uh it started to have little issues here and there and um it was time to i need something more reliable for deer season especially with deer season i'm uh seven eight days away from deer season i'll be sitting in a tree man did you see the weather for next week Cool. It's supposed to be 90 here. What? It was cool yeah. here. For next week? Yeah. Well, in the uh, 80s, mid 80s. It's supposed to be a low 90. It's high 80s, low 90s here all next week. That's unfortunate. It is. I'm not liking it. Yeah. Well, this Saturday, me and Zach are heading to Sika, the Sika Woods. And uh, we leave bright and early Saturday morning and we're going to do some scoutings. That way, all three of us. Can have a good chance at shooting a sick of deer. And you'll have a limit shield under your pits. I will. And let, let uh briefly describe what you did with that. Hey, because yeah, this had, is pretty cool. We it, did this. this is, now this let me say this. Good, that, good. that was your first time using it. That was my first time using it. And that was a test. Oh yeah, and, I tested and, it. And we did have a podcast about what was that, 32 maybe? Episode 32 or something. Somewhere around. There, um yeah. and that was a test. This is like a standard test they tell you to do. Um so that that philip you know tried and uh um can't think of the other uh gentleman's name right now but um uh jay uh tried as well so what'd you do okay well after the podcast phil set me up with some of the uh what do you call it foam core core body foam Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like for for the for the listeners it's kind of like those the the pump bottles of hand soap that you use and it foams you know it's kind of like that if you need something to think about and that's what this stuff is medical grade um and it's you, can, you, can you put it on after you shower you get clean you get clean and then you use this stuff anywhere you're gonna sweat okay any place you're gonna be sweaty so what i did was let me see last week when i came home from work what had happened was um I took my shower and I took that thing and I pumped out some foam in my hand about as big as a gumball. That's all I used. And I rubbed it in my hands real quick and slapped it under my armpits. Okay. Instead of using deodorant. And that was on Friday night because Saturday morning I was getting up early and driving to New York to scout that piece of property. I got a permit to hunt up there. Hunt your own steak. Yeah. <laughs> so I went out there 
and I walked around for like five hours in the heat and humidity. It was kind of a nasty day. And I got back from that Saturday evening and I took a shower and I did not use deodorant or any more spray foam after my shower. Sunday morning got up, was getting ready for church. And just to make sure I wasn't going to be stinky at church, I did the same thing. I got a little shot of the spray foam, about as big as a gumball in my hand, did the same thing. Rubbed my hands together real quick, slapped it under the pits, got dressed, went to church. Well, after all-day events Sunday, did the church thing, did some stuff around the food plots and stuff. And I always take a shower before I go to bed and wind down, take my shower, hit the sack. Didn't put anything on Saturday, uh, Sunday night. Went to work Monday. No deodorant. No anything. I came back home from work Monday. Took a shower. Didn't put anything else on. So now that's a whole 24 hours. And then I went to work Tuesday morning, which was yesterday. Worked all day. Did not smell. I did take a shower Tuesday after work, and I hit hit the old foams again a little bit, slapped that under the arms, and I went to work today, and today when I got home, I took a shower, still no smell. And you now, no deodorant. No deodorant since last Friday night, and it's now Wednesday. Okay. Now, I've I've been using a regular... I'm not going to say the brand, but I've been using regular stick deodorant for a hundred years. And if I use that stuff and I go to work and I come home, I'm starting to smell. Yeah. You know, it's wearing off, you know, I'm sweating so bad and everything. And now I understand folks, I weld for a living 10 hours a day and it's very hot in the building. It's over 90 degrees. And, you know, you got a T-shirt on, your weld jacket, all your crap, and you're getting very sweaty. And this stuff kept me from being smelly. That's a testament to how good the stuff works. Yep. Well, let's be fair about it. You did take a shower, but you did not wear any specific deodorant. And the foam, core body foam, is not meant as a deodorant, but you can use it for that. So that's just a testament to if you're... You know, if you are clean, you you put it. You can put it on your whole body, mm-hmm. and you can go about the day, and you don't it work. You don't smell. It works. I um, went. I think I went. Where was I at? I went two days without a shower, mm-hmm. and I think I foamed twice, and I had no smell. Um, it works. I'm literally. I told the wife. I said I'm literally thinking about just buying a a bottle of that just to use to replace deodorant mm-hmm. and just use it every other day or something. Yeah. Good. You know, or every yeah. third day or something, you know, because like, oh, there's a lot of harmful crap in deodorant. If you read the label, oh, they yeah. say alu- the aluminum in it alone is, is horrible for you. Yeah. I you did know. find, um, one specific deodorant. It's called native. Mm. It's kind of like a natural deodorant. There's um, one called Tom's too. Yeah, Tom's I tried Tom's, but dude, I lasted about three hours and I started smelling. 
Oh, really? Yeah. But this native, it's a little expensive, but you do like one swipe. You can do one, one swipe and that's it. And you're, dude, I'm good for the full day. But obviously it smells, so you can't use it for hunting. But yeah. um, that's the only one that I've found that lasts like for date. Gotcha. you know for a day or something and it doesn't have all the harmful crap in it yeah um but that's a cool cool uh test you know to try yeah sure um, was it, it proves something to me well you're going to need it when you go to your bear hunt coming yeah. up when is yeah. that it's the third week of september okay it's like so it's coming the 18th up. through the 21st or something like that i'm taking four days off work and there's no shower no yeah, shower no shower but I, i'm gonna take one of them hang up showers but if I can use it, fine. If I can't there, oh, well. Right. But I'll have that stuff, the Alimus Shield, to uh, help me through that three yeah. and a half days of hunting there. Right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into the main topic of this uh, podcast because none of the, what we just talked about was. Yeah, the, that stuff was all free. Yeah, that was on the, that wasn't <laughs> on the schedule. But um, Chris uh, was getting some, you were getting some questions. Um some guys were asking uh tree stand placement yeah what what are some signs and things you look for to specifically hunt bucks because like we said nobody really hangs a stand <laughs> to, to kill a doe i mean right. maybe some but i mean anywhere likely you, you hang a stand to kill a buck you can obviously most likely right. kill a doe so yeah um so let's let's talk about that a little bit and break it down for some people yeah i mean i had i had a guy literally from Ontario this week that was texting Ooh, me. Ontario. And, yeah, and he was like, hey, uh, I, I've been listening to podcast, and he said, you guys were talking about a piece of property you hunted, and you was hanging stands in, in pine trees and things. He's like, I'd like to see pictures of these pine trees that you're hanging stands in. I and at first, at first, I was a little bit confused. You know, I was like, well, what's he talking about here? Mm -hmm. You know, well, he sent me pictures of the pine trees that are on his property, and they was like Christmas trees. You know, he's like, you can't hang a stand in these. And I'm like, yeah, I, I understand where you're, where you're coming from now. And I sent him, I sent him a video that I made back in the day when you and I was setting up uh, tree stands mm -hmm. on the property. And we hung a set, the lucky stand set. And we hung that one set that was back in the woods that really did not pan out well for us, did it? <laughs> we never did. You're talking about that, the double set way back, yeah, and it, yeah. I mean, it looked awesome, and we didn't have very good luck with that, you know. So this was the lucky stand, yeah, a picture from out that, of the lucky stand. That's looking out, but you can see the opening for the people watching on YouTube. You can look out and what see we what trimmed. we trimmed, what yeah. we trimmed, but we specifically cut that out for the guys that that can see on YouTube, and we could literally do jumping jacks in there, and the deer were out in the food plot, and they never knew we were there. No, never know. It was a very good spot. Yeah, but yeah, we wanted to talk about stand placement for bucks. Okay, um, me personally, I everybody's like, oh, well, you got a food plot. You know, you plant all these food plots. You should be hunting food plots for bucks. Not necessarily. You know, open season. You know, at the beginning, uh, the the bucks. You know, there's there's been a lot of action in the woods because everybody's scotting and you know moving around, and you're starting to put pressure on them already. You know, and uh, they're they're still kind of reclusive. You know, they're they're going to be coming out. 
you know, not, I mean, not everywhere, but I'm just saying, you know, most places, if you're hunting near a field edge or something, you know, the, people have been blowing them out of there already. And uh, it's not always a, a slam dunk when you have a food plot. Everybody thinks it's easy, you know, but they could come from any direction anytime. So, yeah, I mean, it's not a slam dunk for sure. So what I do is I hunt a mountainside, uh, a series of ridges and saddles and white oak uh, ridge tops and things over top of a river. And it slopes on three sides. It's not exactly the easiest thing to hunt either, but the place has genetics. It has food. It has shelter, you know, and there's water right there. It has everything it that it, an animal needs. And um, there's a series of tram roads that I travel in on, and I can go any which direction I'd like. But there's a few directions I really like to go. And where I go, I go for the reason of people are lazy and they don't mm. want to go that deep. Mm. And so I go as deep as I can without infiltrating too much. And there's a really thick section that wraps around the river. And it had a lot of... Uh, we had a couple micro bursts that came through down there at the river. The the bad weather came right up the river and it knocked a bunch of trees down. So, you know, when you hear people talking about um, like uh, hinge cutting and stuff, making bedding, well, this was like a natural bedding area because everything got slammed over and it's just like a whole barren area of stuff that's been knocked over. So, there's a lot of bedding in there already, you know, that area that you're hunting up there. Is it like primarily like, like a big wood setting where it's like closed canopy? Yeah. So you got real, no, no not really much undergrowth. No, not much undergrowth. So it's basically it's, open, open timber then. Yeah. It's, much. it's, it's pretty much open timber and, but it was, literally now i always use <laughs> i always use the word figuratively i always say a hundred years ago no a hundred years ago literally um that was all grazable property back in the day hmm. and they they timbered it by hand they by oxen and ass they hauled the trees out <laughs> i know that gets you every time <laughs> they ha they hauled the trees down over the hillsides to the river and floated them down to Pittsburgh to sell. And when they cleared that property off, it was all grazable. Now well, remember, it, remember we walked to that waterfall that time. Mm -hmm, yeah. That's where all the law, that's where they run. Yep. And they used to go through there. The law, yeah, they would dam. Yeah. They would dam that up and then let it loose and float her down. So yeah, it, it's uh like I said, it was, it was all open grazable land and it started to grow up and the timbering stopped back in the twenties and thirties. And it was, I don't know how it transacted to the state, 
I don't know, through maybe through an estate or something. Maybe it was left to the state, but that is all state land and conservancy and stuff all around the river area there. And so now it's open to public and it is very far back in there and people will not normally go back there unless they paddle across the river and come mm -hmm. up come up the hill that'd be which, a steep hill which people do do that sometimes believe it or not in bear season some people paddle that um that's scary though in the winter time because that river is moving mm -hmm. it's not real deep but it gets roaring that water sometimes I've, so I've, I've driven down there with a canoe before and was getting ready to paddle across and chicken dot mm -hmm. and went back and walked the whole way in. <laughs> so on that uh, hillside there, that, that section of woods, what are you specifically, where are you specifically setting your stand? Okay. <clears throat> I have a couple scenarios there where I set up. Where, where should somebody look to set their stand? Well, I, I go down this tram road and... I follow it all the way back, like I said, until I get on the edge of bedding. Mm. Um, like I said, that big blow down section, that is below me. And the deer seem to work uphill toward me to get up to where there is uh, some bigger trees that can reach the sun. You know, the sun and the canopy meet. And there's some big oaks down there that you and I could not put our arms around if we connected hands, you know, so. So if we cut them down, we would, we would be rich. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So there's, there's some good ones in there and there's a lot of, uh, mountain laurel that has grown mm. up. Um, there's a big rock outcropping up on top of that hill also that, uh, like the bear hunters like to come and push through there and fingers crossed they think they're going to push a bear out which they don't ever seem to be in there but oh well it's nice that they're moving critters around for me mm -hmm. but yeah i mean it, it's uh i get on the edge of, of the bedding and obviously i get off the trail and i look for like i said i look for those humongous oaks and I, I get back in amongst them oaks and I just start looking around and I find good trails coming in and out. And that's that's what I look for where I hunt at. Now, it might be different for someone else somewhere. Um, but I look for the heavily traveled trails coming out of the bedding to those oaks. And I've... Uh, I've had some pretty good success at seeing some nice deer there. So, that, I mean, that's hill country. So it could be, you know, on a saddle, like you said, mm -hmm. it could be a bench that you're, that you're I, catching them. I call it the point. Right. Because I go out, I'm actually on the bend of a river and I, and I go, I drop an elevation so far that I'm on like the first bench that comes up over the hill. And they, they lay down near the river and they work their way up. So I'm, I'm, I'm up on the top bench or the first bench waiting on them. Mm -hmm. And there is, I, I guess I'm on the left side of this saddle that comes around me. And sometimes 
the deer come running in around that saddle. <laughs> and let me, let me, <clears throat> excuse me, let me say too that I don't go in there normally till around Halloween. I don't go back there, you know, for the first couple weeks or whatever. That is a spot that I just kind of save for rut time. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's really starting to kick, that's when I'll start going back in there. I save that spot because it is just, I, I like, I, I don't like going in there and, and bumping deer around. So I wait till rut time and they're just all over the place when I get back in there. I mean, it's any, any direction really, you know, I said all that, oh, I get on this trail, that trail. I said all that, but they don't, they don't necessarily take those trails when rut time comes. Mm -hmm. I just know that there's a good spot there. You know, it's just a good spot because the food's there, the trails are there. I put mock scrapes back there with cameras and they're loaded with, with critters. So I know they're there. I'm waiting them out at that point, mm-hmm. you know? So I put the, I put the odds in my favor by doing all that scouting early in the summer and ha- hanging the cameras. And like I said, I won't go back till rut time though. Cause I just saved that spot for me. Gotcha. Yeah, that's well, the stuff I look for. Yeah. So where I'm at, uh, if I'm hunting public land in Maryland, I'm where I'm at, it's primarily flat. If it, if it was any more flat, it would be downhill, <laughs> but it, I mean, it's completely flat. So most, I mean, there's public lands that's, that's big woods here, but a lot of it is ag situations where you're hunting little tiny hedgerows, you know, little fingers, fingers of woods that come out, um, ag fields, uh, cattails, swamps. Um, things like that. So when I'm looking for a stand placement, I'm primarily looking to get on the edge of the cattail swamps because that area, that situation, those deer are used to the cattail swamps and that's where they go into bed. And it's, it's funny because you'll see them. We're talking about whitetail. You'll see them and the bottom six or eight inches of their legs are dark. Because they're in the they're in the mud, they're in the swamps. They walk through there, mm-hmm. the cattails. So I'm looking to get on the edge of that. That's that's one section uh, that or one area that I would look. And then other ones would be, say you have a big woods on your right, big woods on the left, and then it pinches down through a hedgerow, and it can that hedgerow connects to both bigger woods. Mm-hmm. I'm looking to get in that hedgerow because that hedgerow is going to act as a pinch point, right? A funnel, a funnel yeah. form transitioning back and forth um if it's if it's public land that that specific area it's a lot of ag but i'm probably not going to be hunting the edge of the ag thinking that hey it's opening day or first week of the season or something i'm not going to catch a buck in the ag field on public land because they're getting bumped yeah but they're not going to hit that ag field the beans if they're still green um during the daylight Probably. So I, I get back in a little bit off that closer to bedding. I'm hunting, you know, trying to catch them coming out to those ag fields. Cause like I said, it's probably going to be after dark by the time they, they use them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that stand. That's situations like that where I would own public land. Now my private farm um, in Pennsylvania, 
my stands are on the edge of the property, the edges. Um, and I have taken travel routes and enhanced them by some hinge cutting and things and kind of made some bedding in the back and then allowed several fingers of trails that lead up to the front of the property to where I can hunt those inside corners on both sides. And then that's where I'm looking to hunt because those bucks will travel that travel route on the, uh, be the downwind side of, uh, some food plots. You can catch them on. Um, that would be where I catch bucks. That's where I shot my buck last year. And then this year I have a stand back in the bedding all the way in the back side of the property, which it was there last year, but I ended up tweaking it and I moved it. I only moved it like 20 yards. Zach hunted it once last year, um, but I'm not going back there until like the rut, like you have that rut spot, you know, that you kind of save. I'm not going to penetrate the woods until it's time to hunt that bedding area, which end of October, early, early November that I would focus on getting back there. And I do have a cell cam there. So if I see you know, some activity bucks or whatever coming in, then I can know that, Hey, it's, it's a good time to get back there. Yeah. Um, but that's primarily what I'm looking for. There's no, you know, people ask what you said, you know, where do I put my, there's no like secret. There's, it's not like, no. it's not like a magic spot. You just, you know, find, you have to know where they're betting at. And if they're not betting on your property, but which is not always the case that, you know, they might not bed there, which is fine, but they still got to eat. They still have to find food. So yeah. if if you have a whatever it is, so here's your own in on transition zones in those areas. I am, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah, you know, it, if you if they're not betting on your property, it's not a people freak out about oh. betting on their property. Yeah, but they have they're betting somewhere. So you know, like if you're trying to be precise, like say you have a property and it's mainly like a pass through property, you can't do food plots, you can't do, you yeah. know, anything really. You could make some trails in there, you know, leaf blow because a deer is going to take a passive leaf resistance. Even if you leaf blow the leaves and make a trail, those deer will use that nine times out of ten. And, yep. And then um, and then if you focus on being stealthy, you know, low impact or whatever, um, where you're not busting things out, I can promise you 95 percent of the time your neighbors are not going to practice that same method so those deer may say they may prefer to bet on your neighbors you know it just may happen that way but those neighbors aren't going to be cautious they're going to push those deer and they're going to use your property as a pass-through and if your property is unpressured you have a chance and you can hunt those travel routes in between properties and you yeah. can catch them there as well I've, you know done that years ago there's there's too many of these celebrity hunters though that are telling you you could enhance your small property and make deer bed on your prop you know that type of thing and i mean it, yeah it, it could happen but you know you get these guys with 10 acres and they're like hey should i put a water hole in it's like i don't know you need a water hole you know do you need one i, I don't know do you like I, I hunt on my two acres down here. I don't have a water hole. I have a, I do have a runoff down here. I have a spring and the water runs through my property. So I don't feel that I need a water hole. Mm -hmm. you know, I have never 
I have never, ever, ever, I've been here 21 years and I've been hunting down there specifically. I planted food plots down there and stuff and hunted down there. I have never seen a deer come and drink out of that fresh flowing runoff spring water. Never. Then you need a, a water hole. Yeah, because they like, that's a whole nother subject. They like muddy mud puddles and nasty mm. spots to drink from they're weird yeah, yeah they're weird. weird like that i got fresh stream running through there yeah. you know but i don't feel that i need a water hole yeah I, I just don't well the bedding thing i mean i i mean i'm an advocate of that but it has to be right i mean but i'm not like a nut job about it to where if i have if i have three acres i gotta say hey i gotta you gotta turn this into into bedding because a lot of times you turn, say you have five acres or whatever it is, 10 acres, you put it in some bedding. You're trying to hold a deer there. You just ruined all your property. You ruin your, you, you lose portions of your property to maneuver around. Yeah, it's unusual. Right. That section is, and then it, the property is so small. So it, it's just, you know, I, like I, I heard somebody say the other day that they had a question if they could focus on food or bedding on a super tiny property. And they said bedding. Hmm. My response to that is I would do food mm-hmm. because food deer will find a place to bet. Oh yeah. Any, anywhere and they get tired, they'll lay it on just because I mean, you could have the absolute best betting area on your property that you make, that you think in your mind, it's precise. Some properties deer just don't bet on. No. They're, they just because you have a betting area that you make, it could be an option for them to bet in or it, it, cause a deer is not going to bet in the same spot all the time. A buck might have 10 different betting areas that it, that it goes to. So, but on a small property, me, I would do food. Absolutely. A deer could bet over there. A deer could bet over there. A deer is going to, if you have the food, he's going to, whether it's those or bucks, he's going to want to try to bed close to that. It could be on a neighbor's. It could be yeah. wherever it is. But I mean, look, well, I, look at all the deer that we shot or seen or whatever out of the lucky stand. Great. 90% of those deer, where'd they come from? They the neighbors. The neighbors. Yep. Neighbors. Bucks, does. I mean, we all kinds of deer came from the yep. neighbors. Well, like it, I said, it, I, I've got the two acres down here and the neighbor lady had it timbered. I don't, I don't know what's there, 20 acres or something. It dang near clear cut it. And you talking about down lay, below your house? Yeah, and just laid it all down. I mean, you talk about a bedding area. If if we if we could go live right now and I could walk down there and I guarantee you I walk down, I would bump a deer. Yesterday I went down to check my little food plots down there, my little kill plot. And there was just ferns growing up all around my plot. Stop eating bugs. I know. There was fur in my mouth or something. (laughs) There was, was, I walked down there to check that plot and there was ferns down there, like chest high. Mm. There was a spike bedded right there beside the food plot, literally 10 feet from it. Yeah. And I walked down there all nice and quiet, just looking. I was actually looking down and I heard something go and I looked up and there was a spike come up out of the ferns and ran down into the woods. You bothered Literally laying 10 feet from my food plot. You bothered him. Yeah, I did. I bumped him out of there. He hates you now. But there was nothing there. 
There was absolutely nothing there. Like uh, you hear these people say, oh, I created a bedding area or, or a, a buck bed. Oh, I hate to hear that. I made a buck bed. <laughs> it triggers you. Yeah, it does. It triggers me. Well, this deer made his buck bed 10 feet from my food plot. And all it was was high ferns. And mm-hmm. he laid down in the high ferns. Well, he felt safe there. He had food. Yeah, he had food know. right there. As long as they feel safe, they'll bet anywhere. Yes. Yep. Yep. So my point is, anyhow, I got off on a tangent there. Uh, That that neighbor lady knocked down all those trees. It made a a great bedding area. Even got some turkeys back using it, you know. They can get on the edge of that and roost and then get in there and and bugger on. And then the neighbor the neighbor down here below me, behind my stand, he's he's got like thirty acres open timber down there, you Mm. know. So I don't need them on my land because I got to enter and exit anyhow. Mm-hmm. So the beauty of it is I can come home from work. I can shower up. I can run down there. I can climb up a tree. I keep the stand down there in the same spot every year. It's just permanent. I just keep it there. I can get in and wait two hours before dark. The, the deer start moving and they're coming off all the neighbor's properties. Down there is like a hub and a wheel. I mean, and I'm right at the hub. And they all come filtering in, you know. They meander through the kill plot. They go up and hit the feed plot behind camp. And they they could either go across the road to the guy, you know, across the road there. There's a swamp over there. Or they can go over across the road to the destination plots, the mother-in-laws across the road. They got so many different options, you know. Okay, so we got 30 seconds apiece. We're going to finish the podcast with a, a listener submitted question. Oh, good. It just it just came in, actually. Oh, nice. It says, Dave and Chris, what is the thinnest you would plant a long strip of Egyptian wheat? Eight feet wide, question mark? Mm. So, so answer it. What's the thinnest you would plant Egyptian wheat? I actually have it planted less than eight feet right now. Wide. Why? Wide, wide, less than oh, eight feet wide. Yes. Okay. I thought you said why. <laughs> yeah, I actually have it a little bit narrower than eight feet right now. Mm-hmm. And if you go to my Instagram, City Sticker Chris, and look at that, you can see a picture that I just took, and it looks beauteous. Okay. My response to Gary would be that this year I planted uh, a strip four feet wide with the Furminator. One, it's just a test. I want to, you know, I planted it late, but I've never planted it that thin before. So this year will be a, a good test on see on to see how four feet wide would do. But typically, in general, any company or whatever that sells it, they're going to tell you to do eight to ten feet wide. Yeah. Most times at the old farm, and you know, in years past, I did about ten. Ten feet seems to be like the magic number. You don't want it too thin. Because then you kind of, you lose the structure of it. So it kind of can't hold itself together. And then if it's too thin, deer will, deer will have a tendency to pass through it. So if you're using it as a barrier, they, then it kind of defeats the purpose. So if you keep it wide, eight to 10 feet, it's nice and thick. They typically won't pass right through it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've got, uh, like I said, on average, it's about eight feet down there. Nice. I, I took the I took the uh, cultivators 
and uh, I went up and came back and I just worked the dirt back and forth, which mm -hmm. the cultivators are approximately five feet wide. So by the time I planted it, it came up. When I go over and mow, all those stragglers, because I use a broadcaster, I don't have the ferminator here. When I when I broadcast that out, any stragglers that are out, when I mow, I just mow straight line and just clean them edges up so it looks mm -hmm. nice and straight. Yep. <clears throat> I got nice and straight, and I keep it about eight feet wide. There you go. So that's, well, that's what I do. Yeah. Well, hopefully the tree stand placement tips help some guys. And uh... I got I got something for you <clears throat> right before we go. Primarily, what is your favorite tree to put a stand in? Species. Uh, it's going to be a an oak, beech, or a pine tree. I I lean towards pine trees a lot for mm -hmm. the back cover. Yep, and then you can, you can you can still get away with using some of your green camo. Yep, I hung a uh, a new stand at the farm couple months ago i think i was sending you pictures of it but that's in a beech tree okay and i had to cut a lot of branches to get in there yeah but but dude it's it's in there it's and you're not, beech you're not gonna hold, be seen hold, the hold their leaves that's yep. why i did it yep 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 so you're they, gonna have some cover they hold the leaves pretty much all season all winter long so there so, you have it podcast 36 yep well next wednesday or next next sunday will be 37 and I'll be in a tree. Yeah. So I'll be able to give some updates on uh, some opening couple days yeah. of season. You sucker. You'll be hunting three weeks before me. I will be tearing it up. Hopefully get a velvet buck. Sayonara. Sign off, everyone.